Welcome to Psychedelicast. Hosted by Clinton Cayley, this show is an interview-based podcast focused on offering listeners in-depth information concerning plant medicines, entheogens, and all subjects tangential to psychedelia. Join us in prying open the third eye. We have a great show for you today featuring a lengthy interview with Maxwell Wieland. Max can best be described as a huachumero or practitioner of sacred San Pedro cactus medicine. Max Wieland has an extensive background in personal practice with this cactus medicine, as well as experience in preparation of the sacrament and its facilitation. He has been working with this cactus for over a decade and has developed his own style of facilitation namely utilizing heavy dosing, darkness, silence, and adjunct compounds such as psilocybin or DMT. His own developed practice stands in contrast to the often milder, daytime, ritual-heavy practice of the mestizo Christian-influenced ceremonies common to Peru. Max is a former founder of the Peruvian retreat center Munai Medicine, which currently offers various plant medicine retreats. He is also a figurehead in the Decriminalized Nature Pittsburgh movement. He is a talented visionary artist and founder of the Facebook group Wachuma Collective, which boasts over a thousand members. Quachuma is a lesser-known shamanic medicine, but one that some consider the greatest of all plant teachers on the South American continent. The San Pedro cactus, or Trichocereus pruvianus, is comprised principally of the naturally occurring hallucinogen mescaline. Though it has parallels to the Iboga ceremonies of West Africa and the Ayahuasca ceremonies of the Amazon, Huachuma and the Curanderos who use it originate in the Andes Mountains of Peru and the surrounding regions. According to Max, the earliest record of contact with this plant dates back 8,600 years, where specimens were found in a cave. It has been used as a sacrament by the Chavin culture on the west coast of South America for 3,000 years. The Chavin produced many sacred designs of a deity clutching the distinctive cactus, making it one of the oldest recorded psychedelic medicines on the planet. Its use today extends into northern Chile, Bolivia, and Ecuador, where seldom few curanderos practice in the original Chavin tradition. Are you interested in the medicinal benefits of cannabis, but concerned with the legal and professional ramifications of using marijuana? CBD's Apothecary is a one-stop shop for all your CBD needs. People all over the world are turning to CBD to alleviate stress and anxiety, get better sleep, reduce inflammation, relieve pain, and so much more. CBD's Apothecary curates a full line of branded and lab-tested CBD products. Visit www.cbdsapothecary.com to shop our CBD oils, vapes, edibles, topicals, and supplements. CBD's Apothecary is also home to the only CBD-infused nut edible on the planet, CBD's Nuts. Our edibles start at just $5 a bag, and we've recently reduced the price of our most popular product, CBD's Drops 1000 mg CBD oil, to only $50. We have specifically priced our products to make CBD affordable and accessible to everyone. Shop now at www.cbdeezapothecary.com. Psychedelicast listeners enjoy 10% off at checkout with promo code CBDMED. 
That's C-B-D-M-E-D. Thank you, CBD's Apothecary. All right, guys, here we are about to get into our very first psychedelic cast dedicated interview with Max Whelan. Super excited to have him on the show today. Uh, This is going to be a fascinating conversation full of great information. We're super excited to present this to you as the new groundbreaking show, Psychedelicast. Uh, I have some favors to ask of you guys. Um, We want to help this show grow exponentially as quickly as possible, but more importantly, we want to produce great content and reach the audience that wants and needs to hear it. Um, So what I'd like for you guys to do is... As you listen to our podcast via whatever vehicle got you to the show, if you wouldn't mind, be it Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, what have you, Stitcher, would you please subscribe to the show on Apple iTunes specifically? We would love if you would review the show five stars or however they do it. I think it's a star rating, but leave us a little review. Subscribe to the show. Tell your friends and family and people that you know in this community about the show. Um... Also, join us on our Facebook page at uh, Psychedelicast, literally at sign Psychedelicast, the name of the show. Uh, Our hashtag, or pardon me, our handle on Instagram is exactly the same, at Psychedelicast. We're going to be building a group for uh, discussions about the show in the future as the show listenership grows. We're very excited about that. Um, But right now, guys, we only have one mode of promotion and that's you the listener so if you're enjoying the content that you're finding here if you're enjoying these interviews and liking the shows please reach out to those that you know friends and family and support the show who knows sometime in the future i could even see a patreon you know i have a lot of ideas about that but we're gonna work on putting out great content first and foremost because that's what i love to do Um, I love to learn about psychedelics, I love to talk about psychedelics, and I love to bring information to people who are interested in gathering that information. So, thank you so much for tuning in today. Please, please, please share with your friends and families and others in the community so that the show can reach a greater audience. I certainly appreciate that. Let's get into some psychedelic news before we speak with Max Wieland. In psychedelic news today from UT Health, an article written by Wendy Hawthorne, Psychedelic Drug to be Tested for Treatment Resistant Depression in Houston. Psilocybin, a psychedelic drug believed to help rewire the brain, is now being studied to relieve treatment resistant depression at the University of Texas Health Science Center in Houston as part of a global phase two clinical trial. To quote Dr. Sudhakar Silvaraj, It is a medication that can change or alter perceptions, cognition, thinking, and how minds see the environment. Dr. Selvaraj is a medical doctor and a PhD assistant professor at the Phyllis Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at McGovern Medical School at UT Health. To continue his quote, this therapy, if it works, could at least help a portion of people get relief from their depression and get back to -to day-to-day life, end quote. A 2012 study on the effects of psilocybin on the brain revealed that the drug may help create new circuits in the brain while potentially quieting others that may link to depression. Though the body will clear the drug in a matter of hours, the potential effects could last for several months or longer. 
A previous study at Johns Hopkins University on the effects of the drug in cancer patients suggested that psilocybin therapy may lessen depressive symptoms. Psilocybin is broken down by the body to produce psilocin, which affects the serotonin system that regulates mood. Another quote from Dr. Salvaraj, It is not a drug that's given to someone and then you just wait and see what happens. The therapists guide the patients through the experience after the administration of the medication. Participants in the double-blind study received a single dose of the medication, either 25 milligrams, 10 milligrams, or 1 milligram. Neither the patient nor the study physician will know which dose patients are receiving. After taking the medication, patients are supervised by two therapists for eight hours in a specially designed, home-like treatment room. Patients have preparation sessions with their therapists before the dosing day and integration sessions afterward. Individuals participating in the trial will answer a questionnaire to measure depression symptoms the day before and the day after taking the single dose, and again 1, 3, 6, 9, and 12 weeks out. Currently, psilocybin is a controlled Schedule One substance and is not approved in the U.S. to treat depression. However, the FDA has approved its use in this trial and has designated this program of psilocybin therapy for treatment-resistant depression a breakthrough therapy. To qualify, participants must be between the ages of 18 and 55 and have a diagnosis of treatment-resistant depression. Participants are being recruited now in the Houston area. That does it for Psychedelic News today. Without further ado, let's welcome Wachumero Max Whelan to the show. Why don't we just uh, jump right into it here? You told me that you kind of um, think of yourself or would like to be referred to as a Wachumero or an alchemist. It's a, it's a functional word just because like what I work mostly with is San Pedro cactus, also known as Wachuma. And so rather than just like uh, generalizing a term like a curandero or a shaman, which are I'm not totally behind either of those words because my practice isn't entirely curandero or shamanism. It's really just working with this one plant as well as really working with uh, other alkaloids and understanding their nature and how they affect the body, how they affect the mind. So in that sense, the alchemy is kind of like, you know, the broad term of, of transmutation of self, of transmutation of, uh, of other concepts into like a more refined form. So I kind of use it as like a metaphorical uh, explanation. It, it's really an ambiguous uh, thing to be someone who works with medicine. Uh, but, you know, it's not like specifically, I'm not out there like curing the sick. I'm specifically introducing cactus to people and sharing that with them that uh, that they may understand it in a way that they previously hadn't or maybe they didn't at all. So that's why I go with the, the watching matter because it's at this point, as you can see, it's, it's pretty much part of my life. I started this thing like 10 years ago. I'll doodle on it as I walk by. Oh, yeah. It's an ongoing event. It's uh, I was going to say that's very uh, unique and complex piece behind you for for people who are listening and not looking he's uh sitting in front of one of his pieces of artwork that's very uh san pedro centric and it looks like quite a bit of work and time has gone into it, it looks pretty dope <laughs> it's a it's a nice way of channeling your passion as well as like you know letting other people see what it is that you're about because you know art is like an extension of self so if you can go ahead and just translate that ineffable concept onto something, you can start more readily sharing that thing that's really hard to even put into words. Like 
I mean, you hopefully the viewers or listeners to this to this uh, this this program understand the psychedelic experience, understand entheogens and how beyond language they can be. So similar to like a, a mosque where they have you know fantastic geometric designs to represent Allah, uh, it kind of goes in that same direction. Um, cactus was kind of amused and in many ways for me. I'm, I'm just very inspired by it, sharing it, and uh, its medicinal properties. I know I wasn't talking about like healing anything, but my own path with cactus has been very medicinal. And I've, I've gotten to witness it in other instances, like let's say, for example, I have a friend who he had struggled with a uh, heroin addiction and uh, I shared some medicine with him in, in a very like unassuming circumstance. And that's one of the experiences that he accredits to allowing him to understand the damage he was doing to himself and sort of catalyzing that awareness to take the first step of going, you know what? I don't think a slow suicide uh, is really right for me. Yeah. And so I've heard those, I've heard those types of reports before of people say uh, with working with quitting smoking and things like that, where they're able to see the true, you know, it's easy to the consequence. It's, it's you easy can be to, in denial of it, but then once you hit, hit a certain like dose of medicine, there's no more denial. There's no more buffer to yourself. You're just left with raw truth. And I mean, it's a little bit like uh, it's raw and you got to process it and it's going to keep unraveling your psyche for like years to come, especially if the experience is like particularly strong. Yeah. Uh, and so these lessons kind of stay embedded and they grow, they take root. Mm -hmm. so I, I kind of just talk a little more about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got several kind of like uh, just prompting questions here that are going to lead us in. We'll follow tangents, whatever we kind of feel like doing here. Um, I myself have just had one of those very intense, strong uh, entheogenic experiences in October uh, where I was I went to Peru for uh, a week and I sat in my first ayahuasca ceremonies, my first series of ayahuasca ceremonies. And that's something that I've been kind of – with people that I talk to about it, they're like, so what do you think? Like are you, when are you going back? I'm like, dude, I still have barely even begun to – get over and I use get over as like just the way of describing it but like it plays in my psyche so much on a day-to-day -day basis that it's like I've only started to scratch the surface of my own experience there so I, I'm not ready to go back into that realm at this point you know and uh, yeah a lot of people talk about it like they're you know swallowing a doctor uh it, it's also kind of like swallowing a library yeah. and then you have all these like vast amounts of experience that may not be readily accessible to the conscious mind that they keep working in dreams, they keep working in synchronicity, all of a sudden someone will say something and you'll be back in that space and, you know, it clicks. Yeah. And you, you, you gain a broader understanding of self and the environment uh, and, you know, how to live, really. Yeah. And I, some people speak about peyote being a teacher, about uh, how how they should live their life, and I think that that's very true for San Pedro as well. You know, it's not using specifically words. I mean, it might to you, but it really kind of shows you your own patterns, shows you the consequences of the patterns, good and bad. Mm -hmm. So people who have lived uh, less in integrity, rich lives, I've found to to be a little bit more challenged by the experience in integrating it because they're kind of faced with that like ghost of future past reality. Um, 
and you know it, it's something to reconcile yeah and so uh it's I, I just think it I find it odd the way that uh, in discussing these things with I, I don't want to say like the uninitiated but I mean that's a good way to put it that they always think that like there's the next like the next level that you're trying to get to and I'm like bro I'm still trying to get over mushroom trips I had like 10 years ago you know like exactly. I'm still integrating these lessons that I, and like some and, I, and that's I'm being honest about that like sometimes these things will come up. And it's like, wow, I haven't thought about that in a long time, but I remember that experience, and that's it's just odd. So re- the experiences themselves are like uh, meta knowledge, and so when you have one of these experiences, it compounds in like your soul, your psyche, whatever you want to call it, and you take that with you to your next experience if you're going to have one. And so all of a sudden, you know what you previously had, like maybe integrated to a certain degree, is now complexed with another experience. And they like homogenize and create another per- paradigm and perception of self and everything else. So, you know, even if you, you kind of like go through all of the integration with one thing, the moment you step back in, especially with another one of these like very profound experiences, you're left going like, wow, you know, first grade was something, but then second grade definitely built on that. And I am now, you know, yeah. having to go through that integration process all over again. Yeah. And it's odd that, uh, well, um, I've just recently also had my first mescaline experience, which was actually peyote. So I was um, sat in a Native American peyote ceremony about a month and a half ago, and I I'm not familiar with this medicine, so I just took the um, the roadman is what they're called in these type of ceremonies. They call themselves roadmen, uh, the the facilitator of the ceremony. So he said, if it's your first time, take this much. So I did it, and I consider would a, I, w- I would consider it to be a light dose. Um, so it's almost like even that like all night peyote experience because I redosed again, but I wasn't having a, an extremely potent uh, psychedelic experience. It was very moving and touching. The point being that that experience in itself was almost like an integrative process to my last ayahuasca experience. Like I was kind of able to rekindle these places that I had visited during the ayahuasca experience in a more in a in a way that I could sit with them longer and it wasn't so like breakneck speed and super intense. Mm. You know how ayahuasca can be sometimes like really, really rapid yeah, fire. It, it can be like, you know, drinking out of a fire hydrant. Yeah. So that experience in and of itself was almost like an extension and I was like, oh wow, like I didn't expect to come up to have this come up and to be kind of just working my way through these things. Although many, many other things came up via that experience as well. And it was a really, we'll, we'll get further into that later. Cause I kind of want to maybe compare, contrast my experience, my single mescaline experience with your years of mescaline based uh, cactus experiences. Let me go ahead and direct us into some of our questions here. Yeah. Um, so why don't you tell me about Young Max? Uh, where did this journey with entheogens begin? Um, and why don't you tell me about this pivotal psilocybin mushroom experience that you had at a, in your teens? All right. So just like most Americans, we're indoctrinated in Christianity. Kind of had that growing up, and I was like, man, trying to talk to God, trying to do the right thing. You know, drugs are bad. All this sort of paradigms that you know kind of keep you in this mental mental space that is pretty restricted. Um, and then somehow, somewhere, 
like maybe 14, 15, I came across the concept of psilocybin mushrooms. It was like at that point where you're like curious about substances, but you don't really know. And then I noticed like, I just had such an affinity to know like, what is a hallucination? Like that was like a very intriguing phenomena I wanted to explore personally. Um, and you know, psychic, psychic events are, are, are one thing, but the, the hallucination like event and I say that because like in my younger years, when I was like 12, I had this inhaler for asthma. And if you filled up the, the prescription bag they gave you and inhaled it, like all of a sudden you're not in this world anymore. So at a very young age, I had some out-of-body experiences and I kind of like compartmentalized them and was like, oh, that was weird. And I compared it to like alcoholism because, you know, what do 12-year-olds know? Yeah. Uh, but then like mushrooms entered the scene in my life and uh, I, I didn't really understand the concept of what happens when you have a lot of it. I thought a lot was just better. So I went ahead and just had like about seven grams the first time. And, Yikes. uh, yeah, <laughs> I was alone. my buddy was like, uh, I got to head out, but remember it's always a good time. And I'm like, why are you telling me that, with that weird face? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so shortly thereafter, I managed to get into a shower and uh, everything just, like, disappeared. Like, the, the tiles were playing Tetris, like, neon glowing around. Then I was in, like, outer space. I thought I met God. Uh, in fact, it was, like, it was a very Christian experience, which, like, complicated the integration for me. So I was like, man, I just spent the last few years being sure that the Judeo-Christian God was, like, a fantasy. And then I had this experience where it was like, you got to look back at the, at the truths that you've been prejudiced to. And like, really understand what it is I've laid in front of you. And I'm like, you know, dumbfounded. I, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even talk to anyone about it for like six months. I was going to like a Christian school at the time. Uh -huh. uh, so that that kind of was like a, a really potent seed. And then immediately from there, I knew this was like this was something to pay attention to. Um, and it it just it became like less of a of like a, a what if and more of a I wanted I want to explore this more for sure. Mm -hmm. So I ended up like starting to get more involved with mushrooms, and then that didn't really you know aid my uh, Western experience being a student and having to deal with like the regular slave grind per se of like academia as a kid where you're like told what to do. So kind of fueled in a little bit of rebellion. I ended up dropping out of high school my senior year. Uh, and that's the year that I started to get into San Pedro. Happened to be uh, down in North Carolina, and one of the one of the friends that I had met was like, "Hey, you got to meet this guy. You and him are going to get along great." So I did, and within like the day, he offers me a plate of San Pedro skins, and mm. you know, it, it just immediately began. Okay, uh, so this that is was your... like the intro to shamanism from what previously was exclusively hallucinogens. Okay, I, okay, I understand that. So there's several things there that I kind of want to tangent on because they all are very uh, synchronistic to my own experience and uh, of the past and of some experiences that I'm having right now. And I just find it interesting. Um, so my introduction to psychedelics was psilocybin. And it, I was uh, working as a line cook at, at a little shitty restaurant. And, Don't we all? Yeah, and uh, my buddy, and you know, we were smoking pot, and I made friends there because we we're potheads. And he's like, "Hey, man, I have, uh, I'm getting some mushrooms tonight." I'm like, "Mushrooms? What is that? Like, I mean, I know what a mushroom is, but please tell me more about these these mystical mushrooms." And so he's like, "Well, you know, you take them, and like your walls will start melting, and like you know, it's real crazy, and blah blah blah." So I'm like, 
that sounds kind of cool. Like, I think I'd like, I think I'd like to try some of those mushrooms. And so, uh, I think he just gave me like, so what I think happened is he was kind of popping off, like bragging about it. And then I like bit and wanted to be involved and then he didn't have enough mushrooms. (laughs) So, uh, he like invited me over to his house, like begrudgingly and then gave me like a few stalks that they had, uh, to spare. And I probably got like a gram and, uh, you know, it was just beyond a threshold dose. But like, as soon as I was in for the first time, I was like, okay, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Or like, first of all, I can tell I'm in the, I'm on the ground floor and there's like oceanic amount of power that's accessible from here. And good good way of putting it. Yeah. And, and secondly, this is not what I thought it was going to be in the sense of like, I had these, you know, what you just described. I was raised as a Christian. I spent years in that Judeo-Christian upbringing and think tank, um, that echo chamber that tends to happen. And so my conception of hallucinogens is like people smoking PCP and like the cops like macing them and they won't go down. Yeah, the <laughs> like, devil comes out. Yeah. So, uh, so synchronistic kind of experience, initial experience there, except I didn't go with seven grams my first time. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it was like, I had two cuts, three and a half grams each, and I ate the first one, and then somehow I walked into the bathroom where I told you this, like, the shower experience took place, and I just kind of watched myself eating the rest of them. It was like I wasn't doing it. Yeah. I was like, this is a movie or something. Like, I was just viewing it happening. Yeah. Well, I think you made the right decision there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I defend that choice. Yeah, right. Second, second interesting synchronistic thing here is that there's someone who's very close to me who's just beginning their work uh, with entheogens, and they have also had a very, very indoctrinating upbringing uh, as far as the Christian Christian aspect goes. And this person is having. Um, well, before we began to work with this, this person was questioning me concerning this experience, what it would be like. And, I, and I've told this person, um, I don't want to give away who they are in relation to me or anything like that, just because they may not want that to be known. So anyways, um, they're questioning me as to the experience and what it may be like. And I said, well, one of the things that I would warn you about is that this experience has the potential to shake the everything that you believe and have ever believed to be true to the very core. So if you're not prepared to have this experience of having everything you thought was real and true, really, really shaken and questioned, then you may want to consider this longer before you make a decision on doing it. Particularly good disclaimer. Yeah. Um, because you know, anyways, this person went on to go ahead and, and begin their work with it. And they are having those similar to what you described as more of an affirming, uh, more of an affirming experience with their Christianity, where they're like, "Well, this is doing the opposite of what you warned me about. It's making." And I'm like, "I'm like, great. That's all well and good. I'm just warning you because, and the higher registers of these compounds." the game changes. Like you're taking a gram and a half, two grams right now. And you know, that's great. A lot of good work can be done at those doses. But if you double what you've just taken, you're going to be in an entirely different, uh, conscious realm of consciousness and and headspace. So 
I just wanted to kind of throw that in there because that's been yeah, something. Yeah, they're magnitudes apart. Yeah, and uh, that's just kind of been something that's come up in my life recently, and I find that interesting. And, and uh, the more that I talk to people about these things, the more synchronistic most people's kind of experiences are, you know, and it's, it's always weird. We have a pretty similar story coming from the same culture. I, I, I kind of have this theory that everyone's roughly the same. It's just the scars that we have that, you know, make us think that we're separate. Like the, the history and the traumas and the, the, the like little unique experiences are kind of what shape our identities. But at the core, I think, I think people are largely the same and they process things largely the same. I mean, there's going to be outliers, but yeah. you know, coming from a Christian culture, you, you kind of, kind of see the same sort of perceptions. Mm-hmm. I had one friend uh, early in the cactus days who it would just make him more Christian. Yeah. And, and then at a certain dose, uh, when DMT entered the scene for him, he could not integrate that. Yeah. And that was about the last time he was uh, involved with, medicines around me and i uh and he went like back to church pretty hard after that yeah that's like one out of many 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 people though yeah well i can see how certain entheogens would have that effect simply because they're so fucking scary sometimes you know Mm. and for some people the dichotomy of good and bad is too is too dualistic so it's hard to say it's hard to look at it at an experience or observe an experience uh, more objectively and say good and bad are just concepts that I've made up. So did I have two a, halves of the same coin? Yeah. Did I have a scary experience or was my reaction to be afraid to the unknown? And generally, if you're able to get to that level of breakdown, that you can say, well, that wasn't a in, an intrinsically scary event, but. I got scared by it. And if you can kind of view it through that lens and alter it, then it becomes easier to manage those difficult experiences or challenging experiences. But yeah, some people have those and they say, never again, that's it. <laughs> Which is a bummer. And I think that that's like flying too close to the sun. Yeah. Like, uh, you, you know, you can go too far too fast. And that's, that is a definite truth of, of medicines and using them. It's, it's, in my opinion, it might be a wiser approach to always stay hungry for the next level instead yeah. of like, I am full mm-hmm. forever. And I also find personally that in the um, low to mid-range doses, I generally have a more easier time integrating simply because A, I can remember what happened <laughs> and B, it's not so just on just an onslaught of of your own consciousness to where you can't sit with one thing or you can't break things down and focus you know what i'm saying the higher doses generally for me have more of a feel of being like pummeled by information yeah, yeah. you know you can be bombarded <laughs> yeah uh you can be personally obliterated yeah and, and those are really hard to reconcile with a linear mind especially if you're really attached to staying within the linear mind and coming from a non-medicine paradigm into medicine, you have no precept of what non-linear mind is, except for your dreams. And so these things are kind of just like enhanced dreaming at that point. And so, uh, and that's why I think everyone inherently can do it. Uh, it. It's not something that, you know, only shamans or mystical folk or the lineage people can do. It's, it's, a, it's an inherent part of being human to access this abstract consciousness. 
And it's just not something that we're taught. And after decades of being sure that linear reality is the reality, it can be quite challenging to go ahead and say like, well, that's only true sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes that's drastically, drastically untrue. (laughs) And, (laughs) uh, and for some people that is just too big a gap to reconcile. Uh, I think most people do pretty well with it, but I definitely have, you know, I know those people who said, yep, I'll never do that again. And I'm like, man, that breaks my heart, but that's your, that's your choice. You know, like, yeah, let's go ahead. I wish I could encourage you to, to revisit that. Yeah. And it, but then it's such a personal choice though. Exactly. And on the flip side, it's like, should I be encouraging them? And then you start to get like into lower and lower levels. Like who am I to be encouraging anyone to do anything? And then it gets all weird and you're like, you know what? Just, okay. (laughs) Yeah. If if they're hungry, they'll, they'll, they'll take a bite. That's what I say. I say, yeah, you'll, if you, you'll know the call when you hear it. And if you hear it, it will be undeniable. So, you know, and I, and I felt that with certain particular entheogens, ayahuasca, like I heard that call probably five or six years ago. It took me time to get to the point in my life where I could and was ready to go have my Peruvian experience. Um, but I knew as soon as I became aware of that, this thing existed, I was like, okay, I'm... the curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was and like, you can't satisfy curiosity with vicarious experience. Not in that, not in that way. Yeah. You have to, you have to taste, touch and know for yourself. Your own senses have to be immersed. Otherwise, you know, you might as well just be reading a Bible. Yeah. And how filling is that really? And uh, I got to the the peak of my first experience that night, and she, the grandma, kind of was speaking to me, and she was like, "You read all those books and watched all those videos, and like, what do you think now by comparison?" And like, it's just you just have to laugh. It's like, why did I waste all my time doing all that stupid shit? This is so beyond like anything that I could have prepared myself for, you know? <laughs> that's that's so true. On the flip side, though, to, to defend the linear mind that led up to that, uh, ayahuasca is largely inaccessible. So it's one of those things that you have to have already, like, catapulted yourself into, like, I'm going to buy the plane ticket. I'm going to go find a place to do it. I'm going to trust myself to do this. And then I'm actually going to drink the cup when that time comes. Yeah. And, and you know, not purge prematurely. Yeah. And, man, that's so – yeah, I had I had to deal with all those things. I mean, I had the cup in my hands, and I'm like – all right, am I gonna? Am I really gonna drink this? Or and then I'm like, dude, <laughs> fucking drink it. So I drink it, and then I'm like, maybe I should just go ahead and puke it up now. I'm like, no, dude, don't. Come on, man, you're here now. You've come all this way. You better hold it down. I didn't. And that's your that's your resolution. Yeah. And that's that's like important to keep in mind. You don't casually enter that. You do it with a determination. Yeah. And uh, I never ended up purging actually that that night. So I had a very very cataclysmic experience there um, wow it was awesome yeah it was really it was really my, cool. my first series with ayahuasca um me and my friend were brewing it in the states and i was drinking in his basement and i was on this like crazy no fat no sugar no salt no no anything diet like you know don't don't watch tv don't have sex don't don't do anything that stimulates any sensation and i'm like two weeks into just puking my brains out on this i'm like man what the hell I'm clearly not getting the picture here. This is not what's supposed to happen. Uh, but I kind of stayed with the diet, and it was like three more sessions. So like on the seventh session, it finally was like kabing. Damn. And there was, there was no more question of if this works or what does it do. Yeah, yeah. That's See, I, I considered going that route as well, but I was like, you know what? 
I, I'd consider working with it here in the States now that I've gone to Peru and done, done it that way. Um, but I'm really glad I went and, and did it like that. It's good to have an introduction from someone that knows. And that's like one of the roles of the shaman is just someone who can show you a way to do this practice that makes sense. Yeah. And so in that way, it's kind of just like a model of how, how to do this. And I consider like, you know, if I do my job effectively in the future, you wouldn't need me to be doing that job because you, you can handle yourself. Sure. And you know, the resources are available. Sure. You said you were trained in Western medicine in some aspect. You say you were an EMT. Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned like dropping out of high school, like during my senior year of high school, I was like, all right, I got to do something meaningful, interesting. And I was really into medicine, the body, all sorts of stuff. So I went ahead and did an EMT course at a local community college. Okay. And, you know, just really enjoyed that. And in fact, I just, I kind of was like a party doctor for a while at all the high school parties. People would pass out drunk. I'm there doing my like DCAP, ETLS, like uh, checking all their signs and stuff. So it was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. So that kind of led into like being able to take care of people and establishing that trust of like, oh, no, I am safe. There's sort of someone who's making sure I won't die here. Yeah. Uh, I work in West, I work in emergency medicine uh, as far as my career goes. And uh, I, I feel like that's been invaluable in my own consciousness voyaging because it helps you stay calm when shit hits the fan, you know, cause you're used to dealing with like for year, you know, it takes, it takes time years to, of seeing say physical violence or uh, bad, scary situations, you know, because the first few times you see it, your heart rate, you know, your heart escalates. You have a you're like, yo, I need a gurney now. Exactly. But, uh... <laughs> you have a tendency to want to like, to like flee, you know, because you just don't want to see that type of violence inflicted on somebody. And it, it, but that's just your kind of like innate instinct. So it takes time to kind of overcome that, and and you have to be continuously put in that situation so that you don't have that physiological uh, response. Because initially you can't control it. It's just like. Everything in you is saying this is dangerous. You need to get away from this situation, you know. Um, right. But that's a pretty interesting correlation. I work with a lot of different uh, EMTs as well, so um, my job is similar to what an EMT does with a few extra things. But we probably have similar experiences in that realm. So that's cool. Another synchronicity. We pretty much lived almost the exact same life. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. No, no one's truly that different, or at least I haven't met him yet. Yeah, exactly. Let's jump forward a little bit and talk about your twenty-year-old, uh, a twenty-year-old Max and his legal issues. You, you feel? Do you feel okay talking about that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, I do. okay. Let's talk. I'm, about I'm that actually currently in the process of getting it expunged. Okay. So, or attempting to. I've got some lawyer friends. They're they're helping me out on it. So, uh, here's here's how it went down. I was like. Uh, I did the whole working in a kitchen thing. You know, I was like making tacos at some no, no place wherever, like, you know, you're making minimum wage, your buddies are there, you, you drink after work. And it's, it's really like not progressive. And I saw after a year of this, I was like, I don't want, I don't want this to be my life. So I'm going to go to school, go to, go to college. First semester in college, I decided to give up all substances. Cause I was like, you know, I just, just did this ayahuasca thing and I was pretty like on the path and like, had a little bit of the holier than now. I don't use substances, so I'm so good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's probably one of the, like, initial pitfalls of the practices that you're like, oh, yeah, that's for lesser people. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but 
you know? You're like, I've, anyway, already, so, I've already been to the top of the mountain. I don't need to be back down here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't descend for like such ignoble purposes. <laughs> but so I'm at this, I'm at this school and everything's going pretty well. And at this point I'm starting to like order cactus and like brew like ayahuasca. Like my roommate was calling me mulch master because of all the, like the weird shit I had in pots on the sink. <laughs> uh, but it, it was like, it was like really innocuous. Um, one of his friends left some left one uh, like psilocybin grow jar in the kitchen. It was totally stalled inert. It was just like no one even thought about it. it was up in a cupboard somewhere. The same guy brought over like 50 grams of mimosa bark uh, and also left behind like what you would need to extract that. It was like on top of the fridge. And again, no one's like even batting an eye at it. It's a project that no one's really even doing anything with. Yeah. Um, and then like the week before finals, I get this pound at the door and I live with two other kids. The one is like a raver. The other one is like an English major, very different, uh, thing for everybody. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking it's just like the party upstairs, the kegger that's trying to get five bucks for me. Cause I came up and had a beer and no, it was the uh, sheriff's department. And uh, apparently my roommate had sold a, like several ounces of mushrooms to an undercover. Uh-huh. Uh, and so they came in, they sat me down. They read me. They read me their like search warrant and stuff. I was totally complicit with them and like, like super honest. Like you know, this is the first time in my life I've ever been hit with sort of like, okay, this is the big leagues of the law. It's not like, you know, you're trying to hide a roach somewhere. This is like an investigation. Guys with laser pointers coming in with on guns. They had masks on. Yeah. I think they thought it was a meth lab. Yeah. Um, there was a few in the area, so they were kind of prepared. The state bureau of investigation was there. It was like super heavy, real quick. So I ended up like uh, being so caught up in my roommate's like uh, charges that I got myself involved in it because I lived there and the kitchen's a common living area uh, that was associated to me and I was the only one home. So they tagged me with all these charges and it was just like, yo, like, uh," and and two days before that, I had uh, another ayahuasca experience where. I went back and unraveled this like God experience I had when I was 16. Mm-hmm. So this is now my second year into ayahuasca. And it was like, it showed me that I was the being that was giving myself instructions. So all of a sudden, like I'm, I'm fitted with this awareness that I wasn't talking to God. I was talking to some version of my timeless self uh-huh. and I was getting sort of hints about what I need to be doing. And so by the time this sinks in the next day, I totaled my car. The day after that is now when the cops come. I get arrested for extraction DMT, manufacturing masculine, uh, manufacturing psilocybin, possession and precursors to all that jazz, destruction of evidence. And it was just like, here, we're going to hit you with literally everything we got. Um, and are you going to buckle and roll on somebody? And I'm like, I don't, I'm like a healthy dude. I do P90X every day. Like, I don't. Yeah, I, I got nothing. I, yeah, I don't have I'm anybody sorry. to roll on. Uh, I didn't buy all this shit from like a uh, drug lord, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly, exactly. And they're asking about the cactus, and I'm like, yeah, you can get that at Lowe's and Home Depot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they went ahead to my roommate's bathroom and pulled out a bottle of rubbing alcohol. And they were like, well, this rubbing alcohol, that cactus, that's masculine extraction. Like, he, 
Like, what? You know, that doesn't even compute. No one. How, how many texts have you? How many texts have you gone over, guy? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, exactly. How many? How many labs have you truly seen? Yeah. So you know, I get hit with a fuck ton of charges. I end up spending a week in jail. Uh, my mom drove down, and bailed me out. She's like frantic as hell. I missed all my finals, failed the entire semester. Fuck. And so that that was like a shot in the foot. You know, I was like, oh, yeah. I came to better in my life, and then I just got arrested and failed everything. Like. Yeah. Uh, so I get out of I get out of jail and uh, like I said I got like seven felony charges hanging over my head. Schedule one manufacturing, pretty much everything under the sun. And I go see the movie Avatar. Like it just came out, and I <laughs> I couldn't help but just like cry. Like this is so beautiful to me. I spent this week in jail talking about ayahuasca and DMT and cactus and like essentially just preaching about medicines in jail. Yeah. And jail for me was like very transformative. Like like evangelical experience like I, I i hit like such a personal high uh just because it was like this is the path there's really no deviation at this point yeah yeah um like my my someone over in another cell gave me like uh krishnamurti and ramana maharshi someone else gave me a book about peyote somehow so it was like super synchronistic yeah, you get like... out of jail have this like you know meltdown Next year and a half is rough as hell. I'm going to and from court. I don't believe they have a case because it's just so bogus. Yeah. Uh, so I don't. I don't agree to plea anything. I'm like, yeah, I, you don't have a case. So why would I incriminate myself? Yeah. So like two years go by, a year and a half goes by. I'm, I'm homeless now. I'm like bopping around people's couches, going from state to state, having to go to court every like six weeks. It's like you know not a good time to to be me. Yeah. Uh, Ended up going to court, and they're like, "Yeah, you can't postpone this anymore. We gotta like, we're we're prosecuting you fully. Like, this is this is it." And so I saw the guy before me go into court, and he ended up getting like 15 years for something that I didn't believe he deserved anything for. And I was like, "Well, shit, you know, I'm I'm faced with like 14 years right now. Uh, I am gonna go apologize my ass off." Yeah. And I did, and I was like, "Look, I am so sorry." As you know, nothing was made. This was all intellectual. And I actually wrote this, like, 10-page paper when I was in holding uh, two years prior. Like, they were, like, you know, write this uncoerced paper. And I was like, well, here's all the medicinal values of the stuff that you found and why it was at at this place and the interest behind it. So um, the judge ended up reading this uh, after I, like, he was like, do you have any closing statements? And I was like, yeah, I wrote a paper – that would explain what's going on so that it wouldn't be misunderstood because what was happening in court was, was they were saying like, Oh, he's talking about how dangerous these things are. I was talking about the MAOI diet, mm-hmm. not that DMT was inherently dangerous. And so he read this paper, he put on his glasses, court was silent. My lawyer looked at me, he goes, you're fucked. Uh, and it was like, I was like, well, you know, I'm wearing toe shoes. I don't have any friends or family here. This is, this is like... Uh, You're right, I am fucked. I've been fucked. Yeah, like, nail me to the cross. Let's do it. Yeah. So uh, he takes his glasses off after about 10 minutes. He's like, Mr. Whelan, I would never, ever recommend anyone try to defend themselves with the gravity of such charges. However, you clearly know what you're talking about, and I hope you continue your education, become a doctor in chemistry, and continue helping people. But unfortunately, I must sentence you because you pled guilty. So I was like, wait, I'm, I'm not a bad person? Yeah. Okay. That, that's like that's a huge relief. Yeah. Like the moral aspect was like crushing me, but uh, he ended up giving me two years of probation for all of the charges because each each one of them was like a two year sentence. Uh-huh. And so uh, I had to go through like two years of probation where 
you know, there was like State Bureau of Investigation, uh, parole office, and all sorts of stuff showing up in my house, like looking in corners with mag lights and stuff. And uh, past that, and then a week later, I, I went to Peru for the first time. I was like, I am out. So when you got off of probation, you immediately left for Peru? Yep. Like nice. six, seven days after, I was on a plane. Dang, dude. Okay, so I want to get into that. Um, before we move on from this, though, that's some crazy shit. That's fucked up. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. But you got off pretty damn – I mean, you got – that's pretty slick, though, dude. I mean, dude, they could have really buried your ass. Yeah, I mean, I I pled to nine years. I was like – they were like, you understand that you're pleading guilty to charges that equate to nine years of federal penitentiary. I was like – I yes, just I'm yeah. sorry. What's like, you know, do, I didn't is there compute. is there any lesser option than that? Like I don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> I could either aim at fourteen or like nine. Yeah, so <laughs> not feeling real strong about either one of those options at this point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I I just was like super super humbled by it, and I think that that was was really uh, received that, yeah. that I wasn't like trying to say like I was right. I was like I am so sorry. Like, I am never going to do this ever again. I'm trying to get my life together. Please help me. Damn, and, that's crazy. Know, gave the power back to them, and they were like, yeah. Well, that's good for you, man. That's good for you. I think there's a lot of interesting things to be discussed within that story alone. And maybe at a later time, we could come back and talk about that and maybe some of the other implications in that story because I'm really interested in, like, I hate to use this term, but like the intersectionality that it incorporates, you know, present in the use of psychedelics. And, you know, we could talk about, we could talk about, first of all, just the criminality of it, the whole thing. Why are people who, why are these medicines and their purveyors treated like this? Will this stigma ever end? Um, and then you can even go even further into things like white privilege or, you know, there's a mm -hmm. lot of different things that intersect in that story alone. So, and I'm very interested to hear that story and to, or to break that down in greater detail, but I think we should, let's move forward into some other things and get into more of like your Peruvian. Yeah, I'm happy to continue this. That one is a massive tangent and it's got tangents within tangents. Exactly. I mean, we talk about the parole instance where it was like, I was still dealing with other stuff. I, my brother even tried to turn me in for cactus on probation. Wow. So yeah, it, it, that whole thing. We're just gonna jump two years ahead. Yeah, let's and, do that. Uh, let's you know, show up in Peru. Let's and, do that, uh, and then uh, I've been getting some I, info about cactus at that point. Okay. And so I had learned about this place called Chavinde Wantar, which is like what I commonly refer to as the Cactus Temple. And of course, that's where I'm gonna go check out. Yeah. Uh, so we went there, and we tried to like have a shaman like make medicines for us, and then turns out the guy was trying to drug us with tree detera. Um, so it, for those who don't know, it's a common psychoactive used in South American shamanism. I, I call it a cheap firework because it's, it's psychically quite potent, but at the cost of your health and sanity. So we bailed on that. He was like, yeah, you can't have visions with cactus, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I'm about a week of like about to dip from Peru. And I'm like, this whole place has been like bursting my bubble. I don't believe in any of this anymore. And then someone gives me some like cactus resin. I had it and I was like, holy shit. All right. There is something here. So let me let me stop you for a second. Um, what was it that led you to Peru to specifically searching for San Pedro cactus or this cactus experience as opposed – like 
I know you've had this, oh, you've had this yeah, long. I didn't even touch that. So you've been you've been on this long American uh, or this long stateside ayahuasca dieta. Um, what led you into the search for the San Pedro cactus or the Wachuma medicine? So we jumped over the parole period or the probation period, but in that probation period, I had community service. One of the things that I had to do, as well as pay fuck tons of money to people. I've been on probation um, before, so I'm uh, I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah, I had these community service hours. And I lived across the street from a, uh, a church, and uh, I went over there and be- became friends with the, one of the custodians, and he introduced me to the priest. And it turns out that the pe- priest was uh, doing bath salts and addicted to all sorts of weird drugs and uh, alcoholism. And then I came over, and he was like, why are you so calm? And he was like, I want what you have. So I was like, all right, let me tell you, it's you know, these medicines. And he was like, all right, order it all up and uh, I'll do it. So, you know, ended up like, like working with this guy on probation, giving him medicines. He had one massive experience with an MAOI and DMT. He was like, I'm good forever. Like, I don't need any of the stuff that I have now. I don't need any of the stuff that I was addicted to. And at this point, I'd been only kind of fiddling with small amounts of cactus, Uh but I can't have anything. And so he returns to me like, uh, several meters of a very potent locally like domestically grown strain of San Pedro um, and I'm like well I can't have this around I might as well just get it down the hatch so I went ahead and just like ate like three or four feet of this you which, just ate it raw well I like skinned it and like dehydrated it wasn't even done dehydrating but I didn't have enough time it was a Friday night I'd worked the whole week I only have till like Sunday before I have to go back in so Friday night I down these like half dried cactus chunks uh and that blew me out of the water yeah like so hardcore like i had several life experiences um like that's when i understood visionary cactus okay like i turned into some space puma in one of my life sequences and i I can go into detail on this one at some point but like it was it's still the strongest experience in my life um even after all these years of, of doing this stuff so I knew at that point, like, all right, this is a thing. I am into this. Um, ayahuasca for me was so hit and miss, but and I couldn't grow mushrooms because it was such a sketch operation to involve yourself. Yeah. But the cactus is legal to have in the state, so you know it shows up at the door as long as no one catches you with a fork in it. Yeah, you're good. So that's why I was like, yeah, cactus temple in Peru. I am in. Okay. Uh, I need to go to the place where, you know, these these creatures this is like a cat made out of snakes and it's one of the many uh carvings that adorn the temple damn that's crazy and so that's what i had become in my experience not ever seeing or hearing about any of this and so when i see and hear all this stuff i'm like no shit these people were in on this except they're five thousand years dead yeah all right i i gotta see that yeah that so, was the intro to the Cactus Temple. Peru was wrapped up, came back to the U.S. and was like, "All right, I need to make this a life, a life for myself. I, I'm not interested in anything else." So let me let me kind of summarize this. You had that experience with the San Pedro here in the states. Then you went to Peru, looking for this Temple of the Cactus. Some you had this issue there that the guy was trying to kind of pull the wool over your eyes and hit you with Datura, which by all accounts is not a super good um experience in any way i'm sure there are some people that know how to use it properly but um 
sounds scary. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would never recommend anyone try to use it. It's a delirium. Use it at all. It's 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 cons- it's considered a delirium, um, and it just. I mean, if anybody who's listening to this is interested in Datura, before you go chewing on any flower petals or whatever the hell they do with it, do some research on that. Um, so you have this experience that's doesn't work out the way you planned. Right before you leave, though, you get a hold of some, I guess, uh, concentrated resin, and you have a s- yeah, of okay. San Pedro, pure San Pedro. Okay, and so then you have another uh, potent experience that furthers your or deepens your connection with this plant medicine. Then you're returning to the states, and you're like, okay, I need to continue on this journey. With that kind this. of kept the faith that there was a reason to be there, that there was a purpose to come back. I my hopes and dreams were crushed when that guy tried to poison me. Yeah. Um, and then I had been collecting wild cactus from the mountains and making a brew. And, you know, it was it was OK. But what I didn't realize is that all cactuses have different potencies. And when you homogenize them, you kind of go into like a, an average. And that's, it wasn't the, the level of medicine I've previously been used to with the U.S. clones that I've been getting. OK. So. So, OK, that's all that is really interesting. I want to talk about all that in detail. Because I'm fascinated with cactuses, with the cactus. I haven't taken San Pedro yet. Haven't had a Wachuma experience yet. Um, like I mentioned briefly earlier, I just had my first mescaline experience with peyote, which was also what I would consider one of the more gentle, softer uh, entheogenic exactly. experiences I've ever had. Although very moving and very, like, I want to say more emotionally engaging and heart opening as opposed to like this cerebral kind of. Um, you know, it's just comparing it to ayahuasca, it was like night and day and even the ceremony. Have you ever, uh, have you ever taken peyote? I have not. No. Okay. So, um, the cool thing about the peyote experience for me was like the ceremony itself was all, was, could be most closely akin, akin to it, an American like Southern Baptist church ceremony. It was really interesting to see that it, the roadman was so pastor like, or so pastoral and, uh, he was so well-spoken and he was like kind of, you know, joking around and quipping with people and then they're passing out this medicine. And, um, by the time it was over, very I was like, social. yeah, exactly. It was a very, it was very, uh, involved and there's, uh, opportunities if you want to to like beat the drum and to sing a song if you like um, and the the entire group is engaged in multiple points with this entire ceremony whereas ayahuasca they turn the lights out you drink your ayahuasca and then good luck you know there's people there depending on where you're at they're there to kind of comfort you or help you go to the bathroom or whatever right but there's no fire as a focal point yeah. and it's there's you know, no a lot more of an inward self experience. Exactly. So in that regard, I found that ceremony experience to be what I would consider to be an ideal introduction to plant medicines for people who are interested um, but skeptical or wary because I mean it might have just been my own bias based on my upbringing, but I was like this is so similar to being in church that a lot of church people that I know would I think they would really benefit from this and also they if nothing else they'd get a kick out of this that you're literally sitting in church in a teepee but you're eating this potent psychedelic cactus so uh it it was a really interesting uh experience 
I'm looking forward to do, having my first San Pedro experience this year. Um, I think I'm going to – I'm planning on trying to do it here stateside. I had considered going to Peru for it, but I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to, uh, make, make sure I make it to one this year. I'm really excited about that. Given the availability of it and the experiences you've had, like it's one of those things that if you're going to go to Peru, you might as well just start here now. Yeah. And if it, if it really like resonates with you, then Peru's still there. Sure. Sure. I think that's a good, uh, I think that's a good way to go about it. So, um, have you been back to Peru since you came back the initial the after the first trip? Have you been back? Yeah, so 2013 was that first trip for about two and a half months. Went to the temple, you know, had that resident experience. Came back and was like, all right, I need to go back down there because, you know, I, I'm not seeing San Pedro as a strong practice. I'm seeing it in a very light, social, hard opening daytime experience. But my experience is doing large doses at night which okay. is a lot like smoking dmt okay um and i've had many people like express to me that the the potency and depth of their experience uh not only it, it, it pales much else of what they've what they've touched i've heard people i've heard several people allude to that as well i've heard people say things like if ayahuasca has three gears then san pedro has a hundred gears. I'm like, mm. I, to me, my ayahuasca experiences were just so fucking mind bogglingly intense. I just cannot imagine that something would even stack up to that. Um, yeah, that's, that's why I have a mission. Yeah. So that's what I wanted. That was one of my further questions. So we'll go into that right now. Uh, you, you briefly alluded to these quote air quote breakthrough experiences via psychoactive cacti. Uh, can you expound on the high dose mescaline experience? Now I know you kind of have already um, talking about your initial experience where you were transmutated into this like space puma. Uh, so yeah, so like the high dose experience, and so this is where each cactus represents its own alkaloid profile. Think of all the variety of marijuana that exists. You got sativa, you got indigo, you got hybrids, you got ones that are high in CBD, you got ones that are high in whatever else. They all have their own personality expressed by their particular molecules. If you want to look at it from like a really Western perspective, that it's you know an alkaloid profile unique. And so peyote, for example, is like 50% masculine, 50% other stuff. Um, but the masculine is like a pretty continuous thread through all of the psychedelic cacti. Mm -hmm. And San Pedro shares that phenomenon where there's many, many different alkaloids that are composite and synergized and give each San Pedro uh, cultivar or, or you know, uh, stand, per se, like its own unique experience, its own unique feeling. And so because of that, I can speak in a general sense, but each of these medicines at high level, at end game, provides a bit of a different result. And so I can speak a little bit more about uh, Peruvianus, like in Peru, wild Peruvianus and like harvesting from the wild as well, as well as like the American grown Brigisai native uh, to Bolivia. Mm -hmm. And so like the experience where I ate like three or four feet of this Brigisai cactus, um, that was like, and previously I'd been fiddling around with like one foot, two feet and two feet was like quite powerful. Uh, there's no doubt about it, but magnitudes removed from three or four feet. 
Like two feet, I was like, you know, out in the night, walking through the woods, rainbow patterns everywhere in absolute darkness. I had a quite an experience there. It was very personally enriching. Three or four feet, uh, I didn't even have nausea anymore. I was quickly removed from the vessel. There was no more like choice about what was going to happen. And so I was just bombarded with psychedelia. Mm -hmm. I ended up shooting out of my body uh, within an hour uh, and like flying through a giant geometric algebra equation in space. Mm -hmm. And then like went into several life sequences. One was like uh, the the ghost of future past. Like, here's what happens if you don't change your patterns. Look how shitty your life is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I was like 40 in that experience. At the yeah. time when I was having, I was 20. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I had this, like, little wake-up call. Like, if I don't change, like, I'm going to hate what happens next. Yeah. So, next life sequence, I'm in, like, some different place. There's some creatures. It wasn't ideal. I, I was like, let's bail. Third life sequence, I'm in, like, some Italian monastery or something. <laughs> Who knows? Bizarre. I had some, like, brothers that weren't visible, but that were around me. And there were these, like, servants that, like, put a new skin on me or put a suit on me. Yeah. Except, like, as I, like, began to observe what, what was happening, it wasn't a suit. It was a new skin. It was, like, this this blue fur. And uh, it had, like, these, like, purple, like, highlights across it. And I realized there was no way in or out of this. This wasn't a suit. Yeah. And my hands weren't hands anymore. They were giant fucking paws. Excuse my French there. Yeah. <laughs> they were, that was massively like cat. And then they were like, okay, like. This was your life we, as a furry. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> maybe. So I get sent back to Earth, except I'm still in Jaguar form. Uh, and I'm like kind of walking around my house, like, am I back? I really don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, like, this massive amount of energy like comes and floods like through the top of the head, which interestingly enough, all of the little San Pedro temple heads have this point up here. I think it's called Tonali in like Mesoamerican mythology. It's a point of energy entrance. Uh And so I get like knocked to the floor with this cosmic energy, see my whole life, all of the struggles, all of the like getting prosecuted. I'm still on parole. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And I'm just flattened with gratitude. Yeah. And uh, I, like, look over at my girlfriend sleeping in bed. She has no idea what's happening. And I, like, see this, like, revolving band of colors coming out of her chest. And, one, and there was, like, a couple colors that were, like, jagged. They were out of place. And I was like, oh, obviously, if you put those back, the thing will work. Yeah. And I, like, put my hand over to, like, you know, rearrange the color pattern. And my hand starts, like, emanating or paw starts emanating white light. And then I realized, like, you know, if you do this, you could deprive someone else of that necessary healing process that will ultimately unlock them. Okay. And so it was like, yo, this isn't my place to heal anybody. Yeah. That's... It's, it's, that's not anyone else's work but themselves. And so that experience starts to fade out. I couldn't talk for a day. Like, couldn't make words. Wow. Uh, that's integrated very... for the next little while. And that became like, the experience that set the standard of like this, this can happen. Um, the shamans that told me it was impossible were, you know, clearly they clearly aren't having these experiences. So this is again, one type of cactus. Uh, and that's, so that's more of like the end end game version of it. Were these shamans that were telling you that were discouraging you from following this, this path, 
uh, were they like trying to make a comparison between like that and ayahuasca saying like, what's the point of messing with San Pedro when you have ayahuasca? Like what were they, what was their base? That's one of the voices. Okay. So I'm just curious as to what the dis- discouragements. Um, well, the one guy was like, what do you mean you have visions? Like that can't happen. Like flat out in denial of an experience that I had. I was like, yeah, but. I wasn't here anymore. What were these, I, the shaman, or the, this person who said this, was he a shaman? He was like a Wachu Meadow at the Cactus Temple in Shavin. Oh, okay. So he's so supposed to be a... the where this is like ancient as, as all get out. Okay. The so only representing it to the public is like, that can't happen. That's interesting. Okay. All right. So uh, th- this is what I'm, th- in my mind, this is what I'm thinking. You have an ayahuasca shaman who's like, pfft. San Pedro ain't shit, dude. You should be drinking ayahuasca. But this is actually I this with them, and they have different opinions afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but what it actually was the case. The case was actually that this. I guess what we you would probably. I mean, it's some sort of a charlatan was telling you that yeah. San Pedro is not capable of producing uh, profound or intense psychedelic visions or states, which it obviously is not only from your retelling but from just a very cursory glance at the history of the compound it's obvious that it's very yeah. possible yeah. And again that was the guy that tried to give us detura he okay. was like well you want something strong yeah right <laughs> so Man. i'll knock him out yeah, yeah dude. he was like you can drink this but you have to leave my hut immediately never come back oh wow yeah so yeah yeah thanks that's an some sort of yeah that's some sort of interesting fuckery years later i would go back and he would not appreciate seeing me at any point one time i walked in years later and he like jumped out of his chair and like left the restaurant really yeah (laughs) that's crazy (laughs) so yeah he sounds like a strange character um let's talk about uh let's talk about your experience uh with a medicine center called munai medicine what can you Tell us about that. So I told you about going back in the first time, 2013, going to the temple, getting almost poisoned, came back 2015. This time I was like, I don't want anything to do with Cusco. I don't want anything to do with anybody. I just want to go back to the temple, get the plants from the mountain, make it in a cauldron, drink at the spot at the temple in this complex full of these crazy heads, which are like, again, jaguars covered in snakes. Uh, transforming into people. That's... Oh no! We got stuff falling everywhere. They have like massive carvings wow. of these like falcon people. Uh huh. It's quite wild. It's quite what I was having in my experiences. So that's the spot to obviously go do do this diet. Sure. So I spent a few months there uh, drinking medicine. And I met a guy who he he came from the states originally, but he's been there for about twenty years. And this guy got it. Um, and he gave me some tea like about eight different times. And that was the only time I've ever had anyone else's medicine that was like, like open eye visuals in the daytime. The mountains are made out of kaleidoscopically rainbow snakes. Mm-hmm. And, you know? you, and, and you guys are only using San Pedro medicine at this point. Or yeah, you guys are only purely. using Wachuma. Okay. So very safe. Mm-hmm. Very, very safe. So, so I spent, spent all my money there like doing this diet, living there, like renting out a hostel. And then I was pretty much broke, like kind of waiting to go home, went down to Cusco and then like just started to tell people like, Hey, uh, like I got this cactus. It's pretty strong. You want to try it? And 
a few people were like in on it and then all it takes is one time and they're like we're in and so uh, I ended up forming a couple different little groups of people that would like hold ceremony with me and we would share it with their friends and uh, and then I met this one group and I served their their group and they were like that was amazing and we want to make a center and you're going to make the medicine for us. Wow. So that was the birth of Nye. Okay. Um, so I want to get into a little bit deeper into the story of this Munai uh, Medicine Retreat Center or whatever it is that, that it was called. Um, I'm interested, before we jump into that, just to maintain, uh, to stay in this area of talking about your medicine in particular, is it is it the particular cactuses that you're using that's making your medicine this strong? Or is it your preparation technique or a combination of both? Or what is it that's... What is it that uh, is making, it's creating a, a concentrated or a quality enough product to offer these really high dose, intense spiritual experiences that other people are saying that aren't achievable? Three, three cardinal points here. One, the plant. The plant is ultimately going to dictate how much mileage you're going to get. You can't get more mileage out of something that just doesn't have it in it. The second two points are preparation. Preparation of the medicine and then preparation of self. So when you do these things, like I'm using a super concentrated form of a very strong plant and I'm preparing myself by being in an absolute fast. Okay, sure. So I don't have anything to distract from it. I am loading it faster. Mescaline also has a higher uh, potency when you're in a hypoglycemic state. Okay. So that's in part why the fast is pretty paramount. How long are you fasting prior to uh, consumption? Minimum six to eight hours. Okay. Um, and for people who don't have experience, I would recommend that they don't eat it all that day. Sure. That's how uh, I generally... it can be challenging on the stomach. I generally like to uh, consume any, really any uh, psychoactive plant on a well-fasted, at least, I like to not eat it all that day, 12 hours to up to 24 hours. But I practice, fa- I personally just practice fasting a lot because I enjoy the practice of it. So... Um, I used to be much more like hardcore about the... 18-hour fast, mm-hmm. but um, as, as things have progressed and I've, I've developed the ability to prepare the medicine more, it's eclipsed the necessity of preparing your own vessel to the same degree, as well as at a certain point, a fast makes, a longer fast makes enduring the experience more difficult because the experience lasts 20 hours. Yeah. So you are already fasted for a day plus another day, and now you're physically quite weak. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I want to get into that aspect of it as well. Uh, what you've seen as far as administering this medicine, um, we're going to move into that. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the progression of Munai and what it ended up kind of growing into. And then maybe tell me about your leaving that group or the dissolution of that group or whatever, uh, whatever happens a little bit of a painful tale but I'm if you want to, to share that we don't okay if you if you're willing to then we can do that if not we can move on to other things we've got so no much. no it's it's i think it's important because it, it was such a profound lesson in, in being able to understand you know what can what can pervert a medicine practice and money is what can pervert a medicine practice like first and foremost the financial allure of ethnotourism and of like you know, we're holding retreats for $1,800 to $2,500, depending upon the quality of room that you're getting. And that's for 10 days. Yeah. That's a pretty serious chunk of money when, you know, I'm, I'm previously just giving this stuff away and, and paying for it out of pocket. Yeah, sure. So, 
uh, once we like created the center, there was a bunch of different personalities that like at first, you know, I was really trusting in that this was for medicine. And then it seemed to be more for recognition, uh, more for money, more for self, like uh, betterment, more business. And so I kind of butted heads with some of the people who were like really, I'm, again, I'm trying to be a little bit big about it because it was, uh, you know, I made some errors, like for sure. I made a lot of errors in my judgment, in my own practice about what I was going to do and how I was going to conduct myself. And so I kind of crossed some boundaries with friends and like really my focus uh, began to transmute into like, you know, keeping the business alive and things like that. And that was like, that was like the, the major pitfall is, is not keeping the heart of the medicine as the practice. Uh -huh. And it's really hard when you have a $4,000 a month overhead on the property alone. Sure. So that's, that's a massive hunk of money, especially for someone who, you know, I, when I met these people, I had spent my last $3 on juice that morning. Yeah. Uh, and I had a bag of tea on my backpack and yeah. I was ready to go home in like two weeks. Yeah. So when, when they, when they dropped, uh, you know, close to about 80 grand in preliminary setup. Like it is a different league. Yeah. And, you know, you, coming from a, a world where I was just like uh, prejudiced pretty thoroughly for being a felon, uh, you know, working minimum wage jobs, like all of a sudden, you know, you're catapulted out of that financial realm of like, you know, low end. And, yeah. and now you're, you're at a point where, you know, you're representing a thing to the world. Sure. Uh, it, it was, it was like a bit much for me to handle at 25, 26. Yeah. I can, that, that makes sense to me because, you know, I, it's just something that I've been saying for the last couple of years, but and, and I'm, you know, I probably will say this in the future about myself now, but it's like when I was, I, I had no idea who I was until my mid twenties, like 24, 25 is where I just kind of started my journey. And that was even after almost eight, nine years of, of, uh, psychedelic exploration because, yeah. you know, my first, my first long, the, there was a long time in my early psychedelic exploration where I was not only, I was completely unaware that this realm of work was more than brain candy, that it was also mm -hmm. a spiritual work, that it was also a physical work, that it was also, you know, that your mind, your soul and your body need to be and all in alignment together. Um, and really, I didn't come to understand that in a deep sense until ayahuasca. Um, and now, like I, like I said in the, early in the show, I knew the first time that I took psilocybin that I had discovered something that was going to be infinitely curious to me, something that was going to, you know, brain candy is, is the way I thought of it. And I, I just didn't... Um, I just didn't. The grass see. wasn't there yet. Exactly, and it, and and it wasn't there until I had some more sturdy experiences in my early twenties, mid twenties, and then I started to kind of realize that the things that I'm experiencing in these psychedelic experiences aren't meant to just stay there in the psychedelic experience. You're supposed to bring them out here into the world and work with them in your life, you know. Um, and so I, I say all that to the point that. When I was in my mid-20s, I was just barely um, coming to the point where I feel that I was starting to really get a grasp on who I was and how to man man 
maneuver in the world in a successful way or in a good way in general. You know what I'm saying? So I do. Yeah. I, that's just to speak to your um, what you were talking about it being possibly have having been too much for you at that time in your life. And again, I'm coming from like an extremely paranoid place. I, I've been under like, you know, scrutiny of the law at such an extreme degree that I that I didn't have a plan B. Yeah, uh, I didn't. You know, my college experience was was non-existent at this point. Like this is what I got. Yeah. So I was I was ready to defend it uh, beyond what I should have. I sh- there was many times I should have just stepped away, um, and I, I couldn't. I was too attached to what I had built. Uh, where it was going and, and the lack of options that I perceived in my own life. And so because of that, my interactions with, with the other uh, the, the members, and really it was like at first there was five or six of us, then it was five of us, then it was four of us, then there was three of us. Then we started to bring in help and train them. And, you know, they weren't really on the same level as the founders in terms of authority. So uh-huh. didn't have to listen to their opinions. They were interchangeable in some capacity because they're not paying bills. Yeah. Um, really not the way that a family works and that's what like a medicine cooperative uh should feel like should feel like a family in my opinion sure what was your role in uh at this time other than so i know you were talking about you were heavily involved in the business aspect and the day-to-day operations which that's a huge i made the medicine i facilitated the medicine uh i made sure everyone was on par with diets and everything else made sure really that the medicinal aspect of the medicine center was there. Sure. So that was left all in my court to handle like all ceremonies. Okay. Uh, can you give me a, a, a brief, however brief you'd like, or however extensive you'd like overview of what a ceremony uh, when you're facilitating is like? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, because these medicines can be like more than people are expecting, I like to start them more on the low end of things so that they can get a feel. And from that feel, there's an established trust. And from the trust, they're eager to go beyond. They have a, a level of comfort and willingness to now step, step outside of that. So the first time I like to open it up with a daytime San Pedro experience that's not at the full caliber. So, you know, they get the experience. Usually people are like, wow, I had no idea. Can you still hear me? Hear me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a All little right. glitch, but we're good. I got a low battery warning. That was why I asked. Okay, we're fine. Um, so, yeah, I'd start people out on, on the daytime experience, and then, you know, they're always like, holy cow, this is amazing. Like, I can't wait to, to, to explore this further. And then we integrate an ayahuasca experience maybe the next day or day after. And at this point, like, I'm not comfortable sharing ayahuasca with other people. I'm comfortable drinking my own medicine. But they're there for a more ethno-touristic experience. They want that circle. They want the maloca. And, you know, my way of doing this is sensory deprivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my experience, not in the day, but in the night, it's like, okay, so you have a really nice room that we provided to you or you paid for really. And what we're going to do is we're going to serve medicine in a communal location. You're always welcome to come out and interact, but you have this private space to go lay down. And again, this is kind of building off of what it is, is enhanced dreaming. Mm-hmm. So I, I encourage people to go back to their bed, lay down and just kind of let it run its course. You know, things might come up that are going to be challenging or interesting. Just kind of let it happen. And through that, you can really access some depths that previously, if you're in the linear mind, it, you're stuck. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's really not a complicated process, but it takes a level of trust uh, 
from the person about what they're drinking, who they're drinking it with, in the space they're drinking it. So they got to feel safe. And so really we're trying to cultivate this sensation of trust. Um, and, and with that, we can actually start working a, a bit deeper or letting them work on themselves in a bit deeper way. And everyone's experience pans out entirely unique to them. Yeah, of course. But you do have to first overcome that hurdle of uh, helping, well, helping the self get out of the way, you know, because a lot of people are coming from great distances away. They're coming to a country where they probably have little to no knowledge of the culture. Um, they probably also don't speak the language very well. What I'm trying to get at is that they're stepping well outside their comfort zone just in the logistical and physical aspect of getting there, let alone drinking one of, if not the most potent psychedelics known to man that's going to completely alter everything that you know about reality. Um, so for me, just, just to touch, touch briefly on that. We set up the center so that people would feel comfortable. Exactly. So we had like all the amenities that you'd want um, or are used to at home. You know, everyone speaks fluent English. We had some people that also speak Spanish, but really we're catering to people who are on that pilgrimage and trying to make them feel at home. Mm -hmm. So And so that's the point that I was trying to get at is that like you were saying, you, you try to kind of you, – you, first of all, you build a beautiful center where they have access to all the amenities of home. You start them off with a, a daytime, easier dose um, because for in this this is how it works for me too. I need time to get really comfortable like that so that I can let myself, my natural fears and anxieties move out of the way because those things color my experience when, I st when I'm – feeling that way so if i can kind of push that part of myself to the side then i can more fully open to this experience and i can go deeper and i'm less um less held down by my silly just you know monotonous fears that we have like oh this the psyche can relax exactly exactly um so that's where we are now we're talking about you your practice um so how does it um you know, coming, coming from like a Western perspective and dealing with mostly Westerners, um, because let's be honest, like locals are not paying $1,800 to drink something that grows outside their house. Yeah. That's just, that's not who we're catering towards. And the center itself was originally conceived as a place of luxury uh, for business in, in individuals to bring their like high end CEOs and do like a sort of reprogramming. And so the guy that, um, I partnered with was like, uh, you know, very savvy in the business world. And he, he thought that this would be a huge asset to, to them. And, and through that, that was the niche he was trying to, to penetrate. Okay. That kind of, uh, so that's like, I'm envisioning like a center, like Rhythmia. I'm sure you're familiar with Rhythmia. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's kind of the I've, concept. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it was, a. Uh, kind of the same vibe in a lot of ways. I mean, I haven't personally been to Rhythmia, but I get the sensation that they are in the same category. Okay. I haven't been there either. I'd love to go, but I looked at their pricing and I'm like, nah, bro, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially when you can order a cactus for 20 bucks. Yeah. Um, you know, it's odd. Uh, I, I started experimenting with cactus a long time ago, man. I started trying to, I, it's just a funny story. It's in the side. I just actually remembered it. When I was in college, I 
got uh San, raw San Pedro cactus, and I was trying to do a like make the tea or whatever, right? Like a crock pot with some lemons. And I think I had like yeah, I don't remember, dude. This was like ten years ago at least. And uh, it's just kind of a funny story the way that it ends up. I ended up doing this like extraction or making this tea or whatever I was trying to do, man. I really don't remember that well. Um, but I didn't get around to drinking it. And so I put I had it in this clear container in my refrigerator and I had like a big X on it. It was like, do not drink. Because <laughs> I had a roommate who was really – my roommate was really like super uh, by the books and he didn't – he wasn't interested in any, any of this. So I went out – I left this in my uh, refrigerator and I think I had like written like how many milligrams of mescaline I was like – mathing out that we, yeah. yeah and uh so i went out of town for the weekend and i came back and the apartment was like spotless and i opened up the fridge and my my jar of gr- neon green tea is gone and i'm like hey uh roommate do you know what happened to the jar of tea that specifically said not to drink and uh, <laughs> you know like he was like oh yeah dude uh my mom came this weekend and she cleaned up the apartment and she found it and she got really worried and she threw it away. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> so I, I thought the story was going in a direction uh, similar to one I had where I made a bunch of mushroom chocolates and one of my roommates who was like super straight edge came home and was just like, oh, I'm going to, you know, scarf down some communal food. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we find him like half naked outside playing guitar. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it would have gone like that because this dude definitely could have used uh, that type of experience in his life because he was an asshole. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, yeah, this guy totally became all of our best friends for like two weeks, and then after that, he like digressed back into like who he was prior. Yeah. So, anyways, man, we're just jumping around here, but that was that was funny. Uh, I really, yeah, his mom probably could have really used it even more than him. She, my she... my mom came down and drank actually. So, like, oh really? In terms of and of what that can do for family, yeah, it changed changed a lot for the relationship between us. Really? Where did she uh do? She came down to Peru and drank with you. Yep, she came down, she brought me a fresh pot to cook medicine out of, and was like, yo, uh, you know, a year before this, she was like, you can't stay anymore, please don't die, like, doing your whole drug adventure thing. Yeah, right. And then I was like, well, my maid is center, come stay at our presidential suite. Damn. And like it was like, all right. She's uh, like, I'm, I'm proud of you, son. My son, go to Machu Picchu. <laughs> That's dope, dude. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to work my work with my mom to have her start considering uh, going and joining me in a peyote ceremony because, like I said, I just I think she would vibe with that. Uh, I think that the the scenario you describe is really welcome. There's a lot of trust because it's extremely social, mm-hmm. and you know it's not that dark inward thing like to start off with. Exactly, and my mom uh, is very open minded. Um, there's a lot of room for healing for her. She desperately needs to. And you know that once again, that's my perspective on it. That mm. you need to work with these medicines. Like, you know, I'm trying to deal, figure that out as well. Like, where is it my place to like? Where's the line drawn between my sermonizing and just letting them do? You know, feel the call themselves or whatever. Um, but to the point. She's she had some psychedelic experiences in her probably late teens, early twenties, but this was like in the seventies, and it's like taking some acid and eating some mushrooms in the back of your 
friend's van or whatever. So she like right. she always had these like uncomfortable, scary, bad trip experiences. The and, setting, yeah. And so she's never she's never ventured any further. So she's very open, but she's hesitant because she's can remember those experiences. But she's really, really interested, and I think she's she said she's gonna join me, but you know we kind of gotta get there and we'll see. But uh, I'm looking forward to that, and I really would love to share that experience with her because I know how like opening it felt for me, and I was thinking like the depth of relationship that will establish as a result of that. There's gonna be like such a level of trust between you. She's gonna understand that like even more that this isn't a narcotic experience yeah. that from firsthand that, you know, there is a benefit to it. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking during my experience, I was, I, I just kept thinking, man, I wish my mom was here. Like she would, not only would this be so beneficial to her, but she would just get a kick out of this, like seeing how this actually happens as opposed to what she probably thinks is happening. You know what I'm saying? Right. So uh, I think she would have just found that to be funny because like I said, it was literally like being in church but eating peyote. So, uh, anyways, I'm looking forward to hopefully sharing that experience with her in the in the near future. I, I don't doubt that it will. You know, with the culture being the way that it is, the psychedelic climate changing, I think it'll be an easier and easier domino to tip. I I agree. Um, and so that let let's go ahead and let that segue into another question here, and we're gonna kind of start to wrap it up. We've been going here for about an hour and a half, so. Oh, I didn't even get into showing you, you know, cactus shaman. Oh yeah, please do, man. Let's uh, <laughs> let's take a break from what I'm talking about, and why don't you just share some things that you'd like to share? Because I've kind of been directing, but I, you know, you're the guest. I want you to talk about uh, shit that you think is cool. <laughs> well, all right. So back to that temple. Like I said, they had all these like carvings of things around it, and they were very explicit about what they were doing. Yeah, I so, see that. You know, you can't misinterpret what's happening here. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There's a guy with a giant cactus. And as you can see, he's got snake for hair. Like, and this is the same sort of character that we have, like, transforming into, like, bird creatures and stuff. And these are all acrylic on canvas, just kind of, like, passion work uh-huh. of, like, you know, keeping that medicine vibe going. Sure. Is this artwork so, – these are artworks that you've created? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're, okay. They're, re- they're replicas of the carvings themselves. Oh, okay. That's uh, that's awesome. Then just to, to jump back to the mom situation, my mom came down. She doesn't, you know, has no psychoactive experience, and she like was willing to go with the the biggest cup possible. Nice. Uh, within within thirty minutes, she had like found me crawling, crawled to me, and was like, "Where were you? You abandoned me." I'm like, "We haven't even started." She's like, "When's it going to end?" That's that's the large role reversal about the parental situation in the next 16 to 20 hours yeah uh that's powerful so I, I don't know if i would advocate going like a heroic dose the first time but i'm not that gonna... ended up, ended up like taking this like subconscious fear that she was going to get throat cancer away from her for like a number of years wow. so it had deep deep implications for her she was like choked as a child from her brother and she's always like coughed and her, her father passed from throat cancer. Wow. Um, and so this sort of like nullified that fear. It nullified the sensation of choking. And like uh, even in the, ex- the experience itself was very challenging for her. Mm-hmm. But like afterwards, there was no doubt about it for her that this was medicinally beneficial in a very abstract way. Yeah. Sure. So I have all the faith that like when your mom finally does participate with or without you, 
your relationship with her is going to be like even more deepened because of that newfound understanding. Sure. And that's, I'm really looking forward to that and and hoping that that's going to play out in that manner for us. Um, And I, and I have this feeling like I had this like intuition as I was undergoing that experience that like, this is the, I was at the right place at the right time. And like, I kind of intuitively knew the next step and it wasn't like, there was like a, a list of people in my mind and I was like, hmm. it was like mom. It was like, yeah, exactly. So I, I had, I had someone like immediately, like it was her first time drinking and she was like, does your mom know about this? Yeah. And I was like, well, no, she kind of kicked me out for being into drugs. Yeah. And she was like, you have to tell your mother. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, she spent her entire experience convincing me to like get my mom to come down. Yeah. That's so, crazy. You know, yeah, though I, the world speaks to you in in funny ways sometimes, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't. I, that was really my segue, my tangent there. It was like I gotta show you this guy because we didn't, we didn't touch base on how obviously these people are using these things. And then one last token about this, like San Pedro culture, that that uh, again they found cuttings of San Pedro eight and a half thousand years old in a cave nearby a temple that's three thousand years. Wow, you know this is so, antiquated yeah. as hell. Feel- so this guy's got like a large nasal drip. And yeah. that's from the DMT snuff that they would use in wow. conjunction, as you can see the nice snakes there, yeah. in conjunction with San Pedro in a dark chamber with rivers moved underground to create an aquasonic experience. Wow. Yeah, that's the San Pedro temple. DMT, cactus, dark space, water noises. Yeah, that sounds very intense. <laughs> it is like an ideal environment. I bet, man. That's crazy. So yeah, if you'd like to, um, I, I'm I'm a little bit, I'm interested to know a little bit more about, well, your knowledge on the history and the ancient, maybe the ancient usage or history of the San Pedro in greater detail. Um I'm fairly knowledgeable about it from my own research, but our listeners probably are not because I feel like San Pedro is one of the more marginalized or less – It's underrepresented. Underrepresented. Yeah. That's a good – yeah, exactly. Um, so would you mind maybe yeah. sharing a little uh, so bit as more? As far as I know, the oldest cuttings that are found are about 8,500 years old, and that's in the cave of the guitarist, the Caveo de Guitarera in the Ancash region of the Andes, which is the central highlands in the middle of the country, about 45 kilometers from a very obviously cactus temple. Mm-hmm. So there's really no like doubt in my mind what was happening in that cave and what was happening at that temple. They're, they're pretty close. Sure. Um, San Pedro evolved drastically, especially during the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, it became also known as San Pedro, which like anyone who is using the term San Pedro is referring to a Spanish... Spanish relationship that exists in mestizo culture. Mm-hmm. And so San Pedro, St. Peter is the guy who holds the keys to heaven. And these, you know, that, that could be taken as a metaphor, but it could also be taken as subversion to not be ousted in a now Christian environment. And a lot of San Pedro uh, mestizo practice involves uh, Christian iconography or Christian imagery, as well as like calling in Mary and things like that, similar to Mexico and how the mushroom cults evolved as well. Sure. You know, we're going to adopt these things and our old gods will be represented in a new way that isn't offensive and won't get our heads chopped off. Sure. One of the names for San Pedro is Wachuma and, uh, watch means to remove and Uma means head, or at least that's one of the translations I've heard. So it could be taken as like, you know, like they might cut your head off or 
you're not thinking with the head anymore. Maybe you're thinking with the heart. Like there's, it's kind of like you know, or if you take the culture one of, that calls it Wachuma doesn't even traditionally or at all use Wachuma. Yeah, or if you're taking so, one of these uh, heroic doses that you're talking about, maybe your head is just completely blown off. <laughs> and then we have a temple covered in heads. Yeah, and I'm, this is like a baby version that a friend at the temple carved for me. Uh-huh. These things are like you could lay on them and you wouldn't cover the whole thing. Some of them are so massive. Wow! So and they're like anthrop- anthropomorphic people, dragon hybrid, falcon, jaguar, covered in snakes. Fan- fascinating. Uh, for listeners who, for people who are listening to this and not watching, he's showing me various uh, hand carved figurines or sculptures or bas-reliefs of um, these interesting and intricately carved replicas of artwork that's found at this San Pedro temple. Am I – is that – Yeah, yeah. Okay. Some are some are bas-reliefs like in the stone uh-huh. and then other ones are three-dimensional like carvings themselves like these, yeah. these heads and they're known as the Tainon Clavas. They're like uh, – I guess – I'm not entirely sure what that means, but I think this part is a tainon and intersections of the wall. Okay. And so the whole temple was covered in like like a hundred or so, maybe more of these inside and out. Wow. And so there's three stories of this subterranean, partially subterranean temple, and each of them, the hallways are just lined with these faces. That's fascinating. So yeah, if you can if you can just imagine being in that space, observing all of these replicas of medicine mode beings all around mm-hmm. you and you being in that state it's quite powerful and wonderful to like even just behold i'm sure that it is that sounds pretty uh that sounds pretty intense man that sounds really cool you know um during my peyote experience at the peak of it i was having some closed eye visuals very gentle nothing overly uh nothing overly high speed or intense but uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the face, the the multiple faces, because I was having these visions of different faces, and they almost look like m- maybe m- masks carved of wood, and I would kind of see them like in a 3D like rotation where the face would come around, and the face looked like it was grimacing or screaming almost, like mouth open, eyes wide, and so like the initial f- the initial sensation that i would get was one of like uncomfortability like it's just apprehension yeah like seeing the human figure and what looked like possibly agony or afraid whatever it gave me that same feeling and then like uh beams of light would burst out of the mouth and eyes like these like illuminating beams of light and the face wouldn't change at all but these beams of light like projecting from the eyes and mouth get it instantly changed the way that it I was perceiving it that this was like a an exposition of of power and light and healing and joy into the world um and so I saw that several different time with several different times with like different faces um just kind of in my closed eye state and uh that was really interesting to me the kind of the correlation between the multiple faces because what you just told me, I've never heard before. I had no reason to correlate that to the mescaline experience. Mind you, I was taking peyote and not San Pedro, but I would be willing to wager that they probably have share similar motifs and uh, yeah. I, 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 when I see peyote art, I'm at home. Yeah. So it, it makes a lot of sense to me, and yeah. like 
I can't speak uh, like as any form of authority on peyote having never done it, but like I do resonate a lot with the multicolored jaguars that they've got going on everywhere. Yeah. As well as uh, your story about the face with the light coming out the eyes and mouth. Like I mentioned this breakthrough catfish experience of like a, a, quite some time ago, but at the beginning of it, I was perceiving these people with light coming out of their face and eyes, but it was like a bunch of tangled knots. Hmm. And I like understood that that was like them not being in their true form. And then I saw in contrast, this other being with like light coming out of its face and eyes in unknotted form. And it was like floating in its own sort of like power. And I saw that this is like the state of being that we should be trying to achieve this sort of purity of, 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 of self. And so just to like kind of tangent back to what you're talking about, yeah. you know, that's a San Pedro experience and what you're talking about is a peyote experience. Like I said, they share at least 50% of the same molecules. Exactly. So who, I who also, knows? I also got my first, uh, experience on any, uh, psychedelic where I saw the kind of, well, like this is an Alex Gray art piece right here, but Alex Gray is kind of, you're familiar with Alex Gray. Yeah. He's kind of known for like the walls of eyes and like the infinite eyes kind of watching you. So peyote was my first time where I had that visual as well, where I was in this kind of tunnel made of eyes. And mm. I and I see a lot of that, like the eye imagery and a lot of psych or visionary artwork. And I had never uh, come across that in all my years of psychedelic experiences so i was like oh okay here's the eyes like finally they're Click. here yeah I was like there they go and i was like as soon as i saw it, i was like okay uh yeah this looks just like i'm inside an alex gray painting maybe maybe that's just my influencing my experience too much you know that's something it's else. hard to say having already touched that media exactly and that's another thing i kind of wanted to get into but like each one of these topics that we're getting into is opening these more and more massive cans of worms but like yeah we're, we're talking about eyes and it's like you know i got this you know there's the eyes but they also fractal down and it's sort of just like a, a theme oh wow that's so. awesome dude that is a badass piece right there that's beautiful thanks there's the you know Infinite Puma form, Master Puma form above it. We got the Pedros. We got those heads I was talking about. Uh-huh. And then this symbol is called the Chicana, the Andean cross. Uh-huh. And it also happens to be the symbol of the cactus when you cut it. Yeah. It Okay. I've never even thought of that before, but it does. Kind and it's of... carved into the third eye of the central deity sculpture of the cactus temple. Wow. Yeah. yeah very, very old symbol that's commonly unassociated with san pedro that is a direct representation of san pedro yeah because uh when i was in peru they broke that symbol down for us at prior oh, to the our, tears yeah so they they kind of gave us like this little intro into its importance in peruvian culture and then the ayahuasca experience um so very interesting to see that it's to see also correlations to the uh san pedro cultures yeah i mean everything else is uh in my opinion added the when when you cut the cactus itself like i said you're left with an undeniable shape yeah that's very interesting and i've i've seen that uh that star shape before but i never uh and it's, it it's trending context. in a lot of uh contemporary visionary art and symbolism and even fabrics that are becoming popular in western culture so now whenever i see this it's like <laughs> literally it's everywhere yeah, you know, yeah. there's no forgetting this magic because the the cardinal symbol of it is just so omnipresent. Yeah, 
that I think that what the point you're making right now also kind of plays into the uh, the influence aspect, kind of in reverse of what we were just talking about. How you're maybe like how I read all this stuff about ayahuasca. I went and had my ayahuasca experience, and many of the things that I read about happen in my ayahuasca experience. Right now, is that because they're um, because you touched it first and brought it with you, or exactly. because it's inherently native to that? Exactly. That's a mystery that we might be able to solve if we had <laughs> uncontact people. Exactly. Exactly. And me and my me and uh, someone very close to me uh, here recently we were talking about that, and I was like, the only way you could ever know is if you had someone who was completely unaware of what this was, and then you asked them immediately after what happened, and they were also able to tell you in any reasonable way you know so right and yeah. be able to affirm whether or not without you know information With, prior yeah without prompting if they could say yeah there was a there was a grandma there and uh there's a lot of snakes and jaguars and shit and be like okay yep all right it's definitely yep, that seems to, that, that fits the bill <laughs> yeah. um okay man we're going up we're coming up on two hours let's go oh wow that flew by well it's an hour and 40 i know yeah dude these podcasts do they always uh Man, it's easy to get up into two, three hours, honestly. Super easy. Um, so you're currently back in the States. Um, what does the future hold in this aspect of your work? Like, where do you see this work going uh, from here on out? What's the future hold for so you? I talked a little bit about, like, the corruption and perversion of the financial aspect of ethnotourism, of having a center, of, of enterprising exclusively in that way. And that's something I, I don't you know, I'm not seeking anymore. If, if it happens organically and it makes sense, then I'm not opposed to it. But I, I will always approach it with a lot more awareness than I had before, as well as the, the understanding that walking away is sometimes the best choice. Sure. But in terms of what's, what's happening in my agenda, I'm looking at revisiting Peru in May, and I enjoy working with people uh, ceremony to ceremony. So there's no sort of obligation for you to stick around. If you don't like what's happening you know, it only costs you like a hundred bucks to come and chill for the next 20 hours. Yeah. Um, and so if anyone's ever interested in, in working with San Pedro in a visionary sense, or if they just like the sound of my voice, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm more than welcome them to reach out and uh, at the very least have a conversation. Okay, great. Um, I myself may be interested in taking you up on that here at some point in the near future, whenever I get, Oh, ready. well that would make a great part too. I know that would be sick, dude. We could do uh do one from, uh, from boots on the ground in Peru. That'd be awesome. Um, so if people, well, I guess what we can do now is plug your stuff. And, um, if people were interested in contacting you, if you're, if you really would want people to do that, it's up to you. Um, do you have any projects you're working on? Where can people contact you? Where can people see your artwork or Tell us a little bit. So about... I have like a Facebook page. Uh, it's not super big, but it's kind of something I, I use to like keep this sort of uh, this energy going. It's, I call it the Wachuma Collective, and it's 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 the pet project that I've had for I don't know the last decade or so. Anyone who comes in and really digs it usually gets involved in sharing as well, and so I consider them part of the collective. And so it's just an open-ended uh, project. Okay, so. Uh, the... so uh, like you can email me at Wachuma Collective, and that's with a W W A C H U M A, and then Collective at Gmail. The okay. same thing as the Facebook page. You can also just email me directly with my name. Okay. It's also at Gmail. Okay, so just I'm gonna repeat that because it's a little clearer on my end. Um, the Wachuma Collective is a group where 
this spirit of this medicine kind of lives on um, that you curate. Uh, the Wachuma is spelled W-A-C-H-U-M-A Collective. You can also email that address at gmail.com, Collective at gmail.com. And people can also contact you via your personal email. You sure you want to, is that, you want to give that yeah, out? To- totally welcome. I mean, at this point, this is who I am. This is what I do. And I'd said the line of the law, like in a way that's responsible. So, you know, I work in Peru uh, where the, these things are protected, not only legal, but protected. Um, and until the climate changes in the United States, that's not going to be something that I'll be hosting uh, experiences here. However, I have some hopes that uh, we'll see a progression in the next several years and we might be able to start having projects here as well. I really would love to see that progression as well. Um, before we go, let's kind of go into one of a few of my final questions. And this is a good segue. You've heard about the thank you plant medicine movement that just kind of took yes, place. Yeah. I helped uh, review their San Pedro page. Okay, uh, great. Um, so, you know, for a lot of people, that's not something that's easy to do, or maybe even something that's a reality. Even my, myself, to be honest, uh, I do my best to keep my professional life and this life separate. Although this is my passion, this is something that I love. Um, it's not outside the realm of reason to say that if those in authority in my financial life were to um, scrutinize you for this, yeah. that I could possibly lose my job. Um, that would probably be as, to the extent because we're just discussing these concepts and ideas. Um, I don't know if they would have a legal leg to stand on, but that I'm not sure how that. I'm just you know I'm just gonna do this and not worry about that, and and, and we'll jump that hurdle when it if and when it comes. Um, but what do you think is the future for? Uh, what do you think the future looks like for this? I guess we could call it third wave psychedelic movement here in America. And maybe what do you think the specific future for what the Wachuma medicine is or what vision do you so have for it? The third wave looks like it's being presented a lot by the research and it's also being supported by capitalistic uh, companies that are backing the research. Uh, and, and that's that's a tangent for another thing about ethics and, you know, who has the right to do what. But it looks like it's it's, it's setting up quite easily and, and quite quickly here in the United States. We have the Johns Hopkins Center for Psychedelic Research now in uh, D.C. It was like a several million dollar enterprise. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, the word is out there. Think about CBD and how long it took to become such a commonplace now at most stores you can acquire some form of it. So I don't think we're going to be terribly far down the line until psychedelic uh, therapies become acceptable or sanctioned. And then from there... Who's going to stop you from going from two grams to 20 grams? Yeah. Nobody. Exactly. It's already permissible, but there's, like we talked about, magnitudes different of transformative property. So I think once we get that allocation mm-hmm. of, like, this is okay, it will be just, like, a very quick transition into full psychedelic culture, in like, here as well. Um, in terms of Wachuma, Wachuma is quickly becoming uh, a known entity in the medicine world, and in the United States, there's a lot of cultivators of the medicine growing from seed. And over the next few years, we're going to see a massive abundance of local medicine. So that is huge. All of those people are super passionate about it. They're sharing it with their family and friends. I can't see this being an unheard of subject in the near future. And so for that reason, and seeing this sort of resurgence of energy, 
I'm inclined to go back and start like putting this as my full-time thing. I've, uh, I had the last like year plus, like with like Lyme disease and surgery. So I, I was kind of taken out of the game per se, uh -huh. but at this point, uh, I'm ready to receive anything that's coming this direction as well as like support the movement. And, uh, like I, I've, I've been working with like D Krim in my own city and like starting to try and push forward an agenda to allow this practice to be held domestically. Absolutely. So, and I've heard and spoke to many other people who've had similar passions as well as projects. And uh, one of them I heard yesterday uh, looks like they're forming a cactus church. So, wow. More news on that when that develops. And that's, that's uh, like, I, I, I'm not, I can't speak on it. It's not my project, but okay. I'm very excited that they shared that information with me. That's so cool, man. Okay, great, dude. Uh, yeah, we're going to definitely, if it's cool with you at some point, we'll have you back on to discuss. Uh, oh, yeah. Various Absolutely. other things because, like I said, we, we touched on a lot of things that there are a lot more levels to. So we could uh, we could easily fine-tune that microscope on many of the things we uh, touched on today and do full episodes on, like, probably every single topic we touched on. So I think just next time you go to Peru, you let me know and, and we'll get some, like, amazing content on the spot dude i would i would really love to do that i'm gonna hold you to that and uh we'll talk about <laughs> don't threaten me with the good <laughs> right? so i have one i have one last uh question for you that i that i want to get your opinion on just for my own personal databank uh how much would you if you well let me say this if you would recommend if you would if you were to make a recommendation and if you don't feel comfortable doing that then you don't have to how much dried San Pedro cactus powder would you recommend a first-time user consume? And how would you recommend they consume it? And just a brief answer if you want to give that. If you don't, that's fine. All right. So San Pedro powder ranges from like less than 1% to like 5%. Mm -hmm. So you have to know what you're dealing with. If you know what you're dealing with, aim for like 400, 500 milligrams. Okay. Uh, and that's if you have some experience in any realm of medicine. It's not going to be overwhelming, but you'll definitely be aware of what's going on. The weaker San Pedro's, it's going to be difficult to achieve that dose because that would equate to like maybe 50 grams. Mm -hmm. But with a stronger cultivar, it might only be like 10. Okay. So, and I also don't recommend people work with powder. I recommend that they get the plant themselves because the plant is legal, mm -hmm. especially domestically in its natural form, unprocessed. The moment it's begun to be processed uh, for use, is the moment it becomes a, a scheduled uh, substance and felony. Okay. So Good information. if you're importing powder or if you're dealing with powder, y you are liable for that. Um, but if you're having the plants, all like I said, just don't be seen putting a fork in it. Sure. If you have the raw, so, you've had the raw and, live cactus. As well. And if you, if you do have a raw cactus, a great way of like estimating an initial amount is like make a ball with your hands, and then from your hand to your elbow, the same width and size. And that kind of is proportionate to each person's body, which compensates the, the different weight that people have. Okay. So and once you're comfortable with that, move it on up to like one and a half. And then by the time you get two of those in of a strong cultivar, you should be starting to enter in some of the subjects we talked about. Okay. What is the strong what, – what's the milligram dosage for a strong breakthrough experience with mescaline? It can range because people are very susceptible. Um, women in particular usually take about half as much. Mm -hmm. So that's something to, to take into account. Like um, one foot of, of, a, of one plant 
might be enough to like really rock somebody, but it might be about half of what it takes for somebody else. Sure. So you're gonna have to start to understand yourself a little bit, but in general, like uh, I, I like I said, it's interesting at at, at any any level, but time dilation doesn't really kick in to like six seven hundred milligrams. Okay. And then when you get to a gram. It's now a different ball game. When you get to a gram and a half, it's a different ball game. And I've had these in their pure form, so I could speak with a bit of certainty about what happens. Sure. And then after a gram and a half, you're probably not going to be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It <laughs> sounds like I read a, a lot. report about five grams, and all it said was he survived. Yeah. Right. That's a good way to put that. <laughs> um, yeah. It's funny that you bring that up because once again, during my peyote ceremony, there was a, a lady next to me, older lady. And she was probably about half my size physically. And she took the recommended dosage that I took. And she had like a very difficult, intense experience where for me, my it was one of the most gentle and uh, least difficult experiences I've ever had. And she was like struggling bad. So yeah, so yeah. I was so it's, it's yeah. Something, something to be mindful of. And then you know, I just want to touch briefly on one subject before we close out. Sure. And that's that mescaline isn't truly, in my opinion, the entirety of the plant. And so when you take it out of the plant, or if you start to, you know, assume that it's the responsible aspect of the plant, you're not getting the full picture. There is something that's a bit, a bit more alive. And there's like, I consider it to be like a living sacrament. You're, you're merging consciousness with something else. It's seeing through you as much as you're seeing through it. And so to see it in a purely Western molecular sense, I think is missing a very valuable aspect of what this does and how it integrates with us. And so I, I just want people to be aware that, you know, you don't have to measure it in that sense. You, you can kind of feel it out, maybe start with a tablespoon if you have powder. Um, and if you are working with powder, my favorite method is to add a little bit of water to the powder, roll it into small little pill-sized balls, and swallow them whole on, on a fast. Consume as minimal water as possible because it's going to impede the digestive process and elongate the nausea period. Okay. So an, a great way to enter the experience is laying supine on your back. You can have your knees bent. I suggest everyone stay that way for two to three hours until they can comfortably do a sit-up or burp without purging. Okay. So we could run down a little bit more on like uh, methodology at, at any time you'd like as well. Okay, great. We'll we'll do that at some point in the future. Uh, we're coming up on two hours here, and I think that's a I think that's a <laughs> it's been great a good talk for you. Yeah, man. I I mean I enjoy long podcasts. Um, but I th- and you know I think most people who are interested in this subject are probably have attention spans that are willing to sit or to stay with this topic for two hours. Um, I hear what you're saying though. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, man, that's all fan- That's all great information, man. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this once again, uh, check out the Wachuma collective W a C H U M a, uh, on Facebook as a Facebook group, correct? Yeah. I'm going to have a website up under Wachuma collective as well. So you'll be able to go to that HTML address in the very near future. Sweet, sweet. So once this episode is posted, which it, it won't be posted until uh, a couple days in the future, could be possibly longer. We'll see how that goes once I get it worked out. Um, but I'll be sure to, to share it into the Wachuma Collective group and uh, obviously have it to where you can access it and share it wherever you want to. Um, so thank you, Max Wieland, correct? Yeah, that's, that's, that's totally right. Thank you, Clinton 
Haley. Yep. Thanks, man. All right. <laughs> All right, man. It's been actually this is the first time we've ever spoken, so it's good to meet you. And thank you so much for doing the show. And that 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 was a lot of fun and very informative. And I'll look forward to having you back on sometime in the near future. Excellent. Good luck to editing. I know that that's some serious work. Thanks for having me, and uh, I look forward to seeing what else you got coming. All right. Thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Take it easy. All right. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes today's transmission of Psychedelicast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I implore you to share uh, this show with the community, your friends and family, those you love, and those who are interested in plant medicines, entheogens, and all things psychedelic. Um, Please like, share, rate, review on all the socials and on all the fine podcasting platforms. Come back and see us next week. We have a really, really great show with Brooke Terror out of uh, Houston, Texas, another local figurehead here in the entheogen plant medicine scene. We have a fascinating episode coming up next week. Thank you so much for stopping by, guys, and thank you for joining us and prying open the third eye. We'll see you next time.